You're listening to The Fashion Detour, a show that provides insights into the minds of creatives within the fashion industry. My name is Michal Goldfein, and I'm sitting down with the creators to talk about their processes, their inspirations, and lessons they've learned along the way. I am thrilled this week because we have a special guest. Her name is Rebecca Weinberg, and she is an advertising stylist, a renowned costume designer, a stylist, fashion stylist. So excited to have you. How are you doing this evening? I am wonderful. Thank you. Considering all the crazy circumstances, I'm doing very well. My family is safe. I'm healthy. I'm ready for this to get back to the new normal. <laughs> yeah, I know. Whatever that is, right? <laughs> Whatever that is, it will, it, it, we'll wait to see. But uh, definitely ready to get back into being you know, creative. That's yes. my spirit. So I, I would love to know what inspired you to enter a career in fashion. Um, I started, like, let's see, I started in fashion accidentally. I moved to New York uh, with a musical theater and dance background. I moved to New York at 17 years old. I knew right when I came out of high school, I went to a school called High School Performing and Visual Arts uh, located in Houston, Texas. And my mother had brought me to New York to see Liza Minnelli in 1977 at the Winter Garden, uh, Liza with a Z. And that is what I wanted. That is what I saw for myself. I saw myself being on Broadway. I saw myself dancing and singing and entertaining. And um, I really haphazardly uh, came involved in fashion when I first moved to New York at 17. And I was working and you know, a lot of kids you know, that moved to New York, we worked in nightclubs to make ends meet. And I did the same thing. Uh, and I wanted to be you know, discovered and be fabulous. And uh, I, I gravitated to you know, the East Village, I moved to 11th Street in 1986. And um, I started, uh, I believe it or not, there was a, a milliner around the corner on Avenue B named Manolo. And Manolo had introduced me to David LaChapelle. And David LaChapelle had a studio uh, just off of Avenue B, just literally around the corner. And I used to go around to the studio and David was like, oh girl, you're fabulous. Let's, you know, let's photograph you. And so I was amused first. And then I started to like, I got into it. I got in, I was bringing my props and I was bringing costumes and I was pulling out of the garbage and I was like trying to make something out of nothing and that became my foray into what is really styling but I didn't really understand that styling was a job um, I certainly understood that there were fashion magazines and there were advertising and costume designers but I think when you're a young person of 17 or 18 you're not thinking about the costume designer I didn't I wasn't thinking and I knew movies it, it, you know it took a costume designer to make a movie but I didn't understand that that was a job and I certainly did not know that I was leading myself down that avenue. So I started to work with David. David photographed me amongst Stephen Klein and Stephen Mizell. I was like a gal about town. And um, I started assisting at about, I think it was about 18. I really started to assist. I worked with a um, an aspiring stylist uh, by the name of Richard Alvarez. And uh, 
I met Lisa Cooper, who was a stylist. I, um, I, in, uh, I met Pat Field. I met Polly Mellon. And then I just assisted, assisted, assisted. And then I realized, I was like, oh, this is kind of a job. <laughs> I didn't really understand that I could make a living from doing this. And it took me a really long time to really understand the impact of all those early years and all the people that I was around and how aspirational they were. And they were doing it. But I didn't really... I, like I said, I didn't really identify it as a job. It was just a way of life. And um, that's, you know, and that's how I got my, my, the beginnings. I didn't really, I didn't, I fall, I fell into fashion very haphazardly. I really, I will always describe it like that because I, I was more of a caricature. I like to dress as from a point of view as a caricature. And uh, that just led me into, into fashion. It's a silly, kind of a silly story, but it's, it's totally the truth. It's really incredible. And do you feel like there was there a moment where you finally realized that, oh, like my aha moment, like I made it or? Uh, you know, that's a funny question. I, I do. I worked as an assistant for a lot of, a lot of years, probably for five or six years. And I had worked as an assistant on a film called Miami Rhapsody that starred Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Antonio Banderas, Mia Farrow, Carla Gugino, and uh, Paul Mazursky, and uh, Kevin Klein. Or, uh, was it Kevin Klein? Anyhow, and I worked as an assistant, and the producer was a fellow by the name of Barry Jossen. And um, Barry Jossen was working with a director at the time uh, named, named David Frankel. And David was a very good friend of Sarah Jessica's, and she was in the movie. And you know, that time had gone by and Pat and I were in New York and I had been assisting Pat for some years and um, they came to us with, with Sex in the City. And I remember going into the office, they went to interview us and I, re I believe we went over to Silver Cup. We were kind of social with them. We had, we had done some dinners and, and, and socialized with them a little bit and had a really nice rapport with them. And um, they brought us to interview for Sex in the City and they sent us the scripts beforehand and and it was like this new show for HBO that uh, Darren Starr uh, was, 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 had created and uh, Michael Patrick King was a writer. Now, those people were not, I was not familiar with. And um, I remember going in and, and when they were offering us the job after several meetings, and I, I went and I went, Pat and I went into the room and Pat wasn't very money driven. She was like, oh, I'll work for, you know, X amount. And I remember going into another room and I was like, Pat this is a big job. I said, we have to ask for more money. <laughs> and I said, I want to be a costume designer. I, I want to be in double, I want to be billed along with you. And I remember her, she was many years my senior and she was my girlfriend at the time of many, we'd been girlfriends for many years at that point. I think we were already together six or seven years. And she said, really, you think we could ask for that? I said, this is an incredible amount, volume of work. I mean, it's HBO. And so I remember going in and, and asking for this money. And I remember that was a moment I was sitting with, 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 Dave, uh, I was sitting with Barry Jossen. And I think the line producer was Jane. Oh, I know her. I just, I, I, uh, Jane Rabb was the line producer. And we asked for a large amount of money each as a co-costume designer, Pat making more than I, because she was more my senior. And that was my aha moment when I realized that they were, they were like, okay. I was like, okay, let's go. And that was, that was the, the aha moment when I knew that I had stepped into another, uh, another level of being heard. And I think that as a creative person, the idea of being heard and your, your 
your the, the attention or the intention is is to create something that they're looking to you to to develop and and I knew then that th- this was going to be a good run and uh, we didn't really know how successful the show would be and I'm grateful that it was very successful and um and the and that was that that was the aha moment when I had stepped from being behind like an assistant into being a, a co-collaborator and that was a that was a big deal for me because I at the time I was only about 20 I think I was 25 24 and that was a, a big deal to be at the helm of an HBO series it's it's pretty incredible and yeah. you went on to win an Emmy for your work on the we'd show been nominated it's funny we'd been nominated a lot of several years before we won and so I actually this, this is a funny story we did win the Emmy but I was at the bar with my dad <laughs> Because we'd not won so many times. I was like, come on, dad, let's go get a drink. And literally I had to kind of like run to go get on stage. It was really quite funny. But yes, we did finally, I think after four, three or four nominations, we finally did our, our entire team won an Emmy. Each, we each won an Emmy. So that was pretty amazing. Oh my goodness. And I mean, the, the looks that you created are so iconic and so... <laughs> Did you ever see that happening, like when you were going no. through the process? You don't really, you know. I, you know, it's funny. I never really watched the series, believe it or not. Um, I, you know, no, because it was really purely organic. Certainly in the first couple of seasons, it was a real, real combination of high and low. And um, you know, as the show gained its notoriety and it became very popular with designers and launching designers, and then Michael Kett, Patrick King had the brilliant idea of writing designers' names into the script, which really catapulted things into another dimension. Um, I think when we were designing, it was really just pure from the heart. It was just we had a lot of fun. We had great synergy with the with uh, our four characters and with all the characters. I mean, really beyond just our our females, you know, with with Chris and and the entire you know the the male staff, uh, the the talent. Um, we had an incredible rapport, and there was a playfulness. And you know, you're working tremendous hours. You know, up to seventy hours a week. And, um, you know, to have some uh, slated time of, you know, a possible like a two hour fitting for Sarah Jessica, who's 30 costume changes <laughs> or upwards and upwards. You know, you really, you, you, you have all of the hunters and gatherers as a stylist. That's what you do. You really, you try to find the, the right feeling to evoke the scene. It's, it's like another character. You know, people have said that about Sex and the City, how the wardrobe was kind of seen as, as, as the fifth character. Um, but it was really organic. So no, I didn't really realize that we were creating these iconic images. We were actually a bit poking fun in many ways at the fashion elite and we would take the high-end designers and and mix them with lowbrow designs and I think that that's what gave us an edge above and beyond anything else and then as the series became, became more popular you know the designers were just vomiting beautiful things in our direction <laughs> and it's really hard to like look at a little vintage dress that you found you know in in Portobello Road Market and compare it to a Givenchy couture dress so of course you know as you as you see the series develop you know there's the show got wilder and wilder and the clothes became you know it raised the bar super super high but if you really look and you look back at season one and two those were my favorite years of creating because you 
you, nobody was holding your hand, you know, no big designers were pushing big, you know, big designs on us. And it really allowed us to create um, a, a balance between what is really, uh, to me as a female, is real in my life. Um, I like, I might buy expensive shoes or a beautiful scarf, but I'm going to mix it, you know, with vintage or I'm going to mix it with, you know, Zara or whatever I do. And I think that that's, that was really pure genius. Um, and it wasn't really premeditated. It just came out very natural. So and, I was grateful. <laughs> yeah. And obviously sometimes, you know, when you're kind of like strapped and you have to make it work, you, that's you where make it work. <laughs> you don't have a lot of money is sometimes when we purely are at our best. In, in, in a visual sense, because we really, you know, it's it's just pure creativity when you can pull from high and low. It's my favorite thing to do. And that's always what I do. And still to this day, as, I, as a stylist now, I like to mix the high and low. It's really important for me. So were there any characters, their styles that you related to more than the others? Um, well, of course, I love the eccentricity of um, Sarah Jessica's character. I loved it. Um, I, I loved, you know, playing with shoe colors using the same design, but playing with, you know, one shoe blue, one shoe red. I loved, I loved, you know, a lot of, you know, sweatpants and Manolo Blahniks. I love that. And I, I think I resonated most with Sarah Jessica, but then I loved the, I love the flamboyancy of, of a Kim. And now that I'm a little bit older, I'm in my fifties and I really, I'm very drawn to the eccentricities and the flamboyance that being a little bit older gives you an allowance for, which is very exciting. So I think each character, I love the lines of, of Kristen Davis's wardrobe, lots of boning, lots of, um, you know, very um, form-fitting, flattering. You know, she had a very small waist and a beautiful curvy hip and thick thighs, but not thick in a negative way, but just a beautiful buxom gal, but very petite up top. And I, I love the lines and um, I love the, the sort of the forced strictness of an uptown vibe. And then Cynthia, I think really Pat, Pat developed Cynthia. I think when you look at her in the early years, she really developed late. And I, I like how Pat, in the, in the films, they took her, she got better and better and better. Whereas the films for me, the rest of the characters, I did not work on the films. They, they got too, it, it became too distracting. The wardrobe became so over the top and it was marvelous, but you couldn't even follow the script for me. Um, but I think that she really developed um, Cynthia's character later in the, in, you know, after the series. And I think it got really good. So, I mean, all of them in a way, because, you know, they're all, all the gals represent every woman. And I could be, you know, some days I'm masculine, like sometimes you would see Cynthia and sometimes I'm in oriental pajamas. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm a real dichotomy of, 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 I'm many different people and that's the way that I, I personally dress. And, and um, I think a lot of women are more like that than they, than they always profess to be. Yeah. I mean, personally, I, sometimes I get a little, I feel a little critical of myself in the sense that why don't I have like a specific style? Like, a, this is my aesthetic. It's just, you know, modern or it's feminine or it's this right. because every day I'm, you know, changing and mm -hmm. picking out something else. But I guess I'm a little bit like you. <laughs> yeah. And I think women are, are, are really, I think that's real. 
I think that that's real. I mean, unless you can afford to be like Comte des Garcons every day and that's what you'd wear. You know, I think of, you know, I think of, you know, Catherine Hepburn or, you know, the classic, you know, our classic Hollywood stars, how we, you know, we would think of like Marlena Dietrich. But, you know, I think women, there's many sides to us and we're complex creatures. And I think that, you know, clothes express how we're feeling, feeling about ourselves. And I think that we can be all, we're all of those women. And I think that that's why the popularity of Sex in the City particularly gained so much momentum because we rep I think within those four gals, we represented so much of New York and beyond. And speaking to your personality, do you, it's, it's definitely influenced your, your choices when it comes to fashion and mm -hmm. styling. So from what I've seen of you, you seem like a fun, you know, out of I'm the box. Colorful. I'm a colorful character. <laughs> I like whimsy. I like, I am colorful and it has influenced me. I think my mother was my biggest influencer. She was like one of those gals that picked me up at, you know, like Hebrew school in a full length fur and like nothing underneath, you know, and you're like, oh my God, my mother would have like, or she'd wear pantyhose with like open toed sandals. I mean, she was, she was over the top. And, um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very playful in my wardrobe. I, I feel like, um, and the older I get, the more confident I get, and the less I really, I care about, I care about my appearance, more so my physical self, whereas before I didn't have to keep up with that. It just was natural for me. I was always very small. And luck, luckily for that, because you know, their clothes fit, you can borrow things and whatnot. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more conscious of the way that my physical body looks undressed, but I've gotten a lot more playful and less serious about what people think on the outside. And, and that's, it's a, it's a really great feeling. I've loved, I've loved getting older. Between my 40s and my 50s, I've loved it. It's been the best time. Yay, I'm excited for that. I mean, I think I, I personally, you know, definitely feel as I'm getting older, I'm feeling more confident. So it's true, you know, you just get less out, you get out of your head and mm -hmm. stop thinking about what other people are, you know, what they're thinking about. You Absolutely. Just, and you just, you feel so playful. It's, it's, it's really fun and it's fun, fun to go in. And, you know, of course, mo most of my talent are younger. You know, most of the projects that I work on, you know, I'm working with models or I'm working with women that are in that industry. And it's a really good feeling to go onto set and work with these beautiful women whether of all ages, really. But I would say the majority of them are, are, are younger. And to exude that confidence and to, to be playful and, you know, you come from a place of experience. And that's a really great feeling because it makes people feel really confident in what you're putting them in. And it makes your client feel confident. And then when they're out there on set, they feel like a million dollars. And that's, a, that's something that I don't know if I could do when I was 20 or 25. It's something that is gained with experience. So not only were you were the costume designer for Sex in the City, you also were the costume designer for Spin City. I did, I worked on Spin City. I, I think I was like the fourth costume designer. They had let quite a few go. Um, but I was the last, the last couple of years that Spin City was shot in New York City with Michael J. Fox. Um, and that was a really fun experience because it was totally different. We had Connie Britton. We had, um, we had uh, uh, Paul, not Paul Mazursky. Not Paul Mazursky. We had, um, oh my God. We had Alan Rudd, Ruck, Alan Ruck. 
Um, we had Heidi Klum, we had Connie, we had a, a few other characters. And that was a, you know, more of a suit and tie, but it was such a pleasure because that, that was a really fun experience because it was much more like theater. It was shot in front of a live audience every Tuesday and it was a five camera, um, it was a five camera setup. We had sets that, you know, that opened up and spun around more like Saturday Night Live. And that was a really fun experience because you had the, like the sort of the excitement of being in front of a live audience. So when things go wrong, they just go wrong and you just go back and reshoot. So it's kind of fun. You know, you get that excitement, like we're going in front of a live audience and, you know, Tuesday nights we'd be at, you know, Chelsea Piers. And I loved working in an office and I loved, I loved, you know, it was like the set was our world. Like we'd be in the sets and that was a really different experience and really fun. And I shot another series there. I'm trying to think of the name of it. I was it Streets? The Street. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I did that show too. And I shot that at Chelsea Piers and that was a really fun, but it was, you know, it was a little bit more conservative, you know, it was like, you know, finance and, and high powered and money. So that was just an exploration of, of, you know, of, as a young New Yorker, uh, you know, what you see people, you know, with, you know, black cars and driving up in, you know, fancy cars. And it was a totally different experience. But, you know, I feel so fortunate to have worked in, in, in New York and work in the film industry and have longstanding jobs. And I did get out of film and television because it was a grueling schedule and I wanted to have children. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I stepped in more into advertising. But um, it was a really, you know, all those 90s, all those shows, it was big budget, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Now they're producing stuff and they do amazing work. And I think they do it with literally zero. It's unbelievable. I don't, it. I don't know how they do it. There's so many great shows. I, I'm in Atlanta right now. And I mean, there's productions are halted right now, but there's so many amazing productions that go on here all the time. So can you, Hollywood. can you take us a little bit into the process of being a costume designer? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, so, you know, really as a costume designer, your job is to help develop a visual character based on what the script is. So my first my first thing is obviously to read the script or um, at least a lot of times they'll have the arc of a script, you know, as the script is being developed and being written by the writers. Um, so I like to read the script. And then my next process is to break down that script into a day-night breakdown. So that allows the costume designer to figure out how many costume changes there are. And, uh, and then develop that, that just the technical, just to understand the arc of a, of a show. And that's in its entirety. I don't mean just one episode. That's like mm. the 12 episodes. And to understand the arc and then to build a mood board and to, to develop each character, whether it's through color palette or um, silhouettes. We, we obviously, once the talent is cast, a lot of times by the time that the costume designer receives the, the script, the cast is way in the, you know, it's already happened. And, um, and you work with their silhouettes and obviously you bring your talent in and you develop, you know, really it's a, it's a triangle between the costume designer, the talent and the character. And it's really all three. I mean, most, most of the talent that I've ever worked with is extremely participatory in helping develop their character through the wardrobe. 
So it becomes a really important key part and you have to listen because really ultimately as a costume designer, it's your vision, but you're also a facilitator of, of the, the, the written and the spoken word. Your costumes are there to help convey and help tell the story, not to go against the story or be too over the top that you can't even pay attention to the story. So you would develop a mood board and I used to do it the old fashioned way for years. I literally would do, I would print out and cut, like I would make collages. That's how I used to do it for years and years. I would cut out collages of things that I liked. And that was my mood board. I'll never forget, this is probably not so many years ago. I hadn't done a, I hadn't done a project in a long time. And I brought in a handmade mood board and the, the girls that were really young, they were just like, wow. We've ne they had never seen anything like it. I do it on big folding cards and create these things. Well, you don't do it like that. You got like but... a poster board or like yes. A... yes, I did it. I did it just old fashioned. Yeah. And I still like to, you know, believe it or not, I still like to work that way because I like to see it. I don't, being on the computer, it's like, you didn't got to move it to the side and layer. I, I can't do it. I'd rather just see it. I'd rather paste something up all over the wall. And so I still like to do that. I like to work in silhouettes and then I'll build all my silhouettes and then I'll build my colors and then I'll build, I'll, I'll, I'll pull swipe of characters that identify as a character. And then, um, and then if I'm designing the costume from scratch, then obviously you bring your talent in, you're going to bring your talent in anyhow and you're gonna do a full fitting. You know, you're gonna bring them in and you're gonna try things and you're gonna pull things. And, you know, because I've worked on primarily contemporary um, episodic television and films, it's never, it's not like I'm designing, you know, uh, period oh, like, costumes yeah. where you're building from scratch. You know, most of my projects have been literally shopping and, and designing, but, you know, but it's from, it's in a contemporary format. So. And then you, you talk, you sit down with your talent and, and you listen. And that's when you're there to facilitate. You find out what they're comfortable, what, what, you know, because you don't, you don't want to put a talent in unless it's a gag. You don't want to put a talent who's got to deliver, you know, copious amounts of dialogue in a costume that they're going to be too aware of, you know, you, you know, you, I'm sure you understand. So it's really important that you're a great facilitator and here what their needs are and so you meet their needs and then you combine that with your own your own research you know there's a lot of research that goes to it and then then it's just like a beautiful soup mix it all in and somehow magic <laughs> magic happens so it's because it's supposed to be an extension of their character it's not That's supposed right. to be yeah you don't want to all of a sudden you know you're not going to walk in and 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 have a, a a talent in a disco scene in a 1940s you know zoot suit you know what i mean it's like you have to understand what your what your what your premise is, what your timeline is, what is going down, and how to best adhere and find the costume that's best convey the idea. Do you have a favorite look that you put together? You know, I, that's funny. A lot of people have asked me that. You know, I liked, I, I, you know, I like the simplicity of, you know, Sarah leaving Mr. Biggs in his oversized shirt. You know, that to me was just like a simple. You know, simple. It didn't, it wasn't like, you know, some homage to, you know, you know, breakfast at Tiffany's, which we certainly did. We pulled lots of, we pulled lots of things, but, you know, did I love the dirndl dress when she goes to the picnic in Madison Park to have with the girls? I mean, it was kind of absurd, but it's fun. And, and I, I have a lot. I mean, like I said, I, ha I never really watched the series. 
as a whole, I never really, I, all I can do is sometimes I see the mistakes or I see like what could, I could have done better or you know, I critique it. So it's very hard to look back at your work and do, but I mean, we had a lot. I mean, I loved, you know, I love the white suit on Kim and the hat and, you know, the, the Yves Saint Laurent red wool coat. I mean, there's so many, there's so many moments that it's hard. It, it becomes a little bit blurry because you, when you're, you have to understand when we're designing these shows, it's, it's enormous amounts of wardrobe enormous. I mean, sometimes Sarah Jessica would have up to six costume changes. We shot two episodes simultaneously in a, in a, in a 15 day span. So we were shooting intermittently two different episodes at the same time over a 15 day period. So it's pretty intense. Imagine. It's what? I said, I can't even imagine. It's pretty intense. And then you're, you know, and Sarah Jessica obviously having the, the probably most of the time, the largest amounts of costume changes, but it's a lot like, so there's a lot of run in, you know, there's a lot of a blur, you know, it's like, what did you wear when you went to the nightclub and blah, blah, you know, you can't, it's hard to remember all the, the differences. Um, so, and now you've been doing a lot of photo shoots and styling advertise, advertisements. Yeah, I've segued into, into a very commercial, um, I do beauty advertising. I do fashion advertising. I do, uh, I do motion. I do, I do commercials. I do, you name it. It is full on now. And I've never been busier, but I'm not working those tremendous, you know, hours by the week, like when I was on episodic television. And that's a blessing because I have a child and my partner has four children. So we have five children together. And it's nice to have, you know, a life as well as, as the ability. And it's been such a gift to be a creative person and never really having to show up, but only for yourself. I mean, I'm sure you understand that being a creative person. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a gift to, 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 to do what we do or what I do. I, and I think, you know, I, how my stars aligned, I'm super grateful, but I, I do like the world. Um, I like the, I, I like a quick beginning, middle and an end. It's a quick turn. And uh, I love all my clients. Um, I, I love the people in the advertising world, especially when you come from a kind of a, with a bit of a fashion background and then you merge that into the commercial uh, aspect. They're super appreciative of that, that know that knowledge. And, so do you think, is it different because you're trying to sell something? Do you have to approach it differently? Uh, yeah, sometimes you do, you know, sometimes it could be a pharma, you know, it could be a lipstick and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to work colors on your talent that go complementary with the lipstick instead of fight the lipstick. It is, but it's still figuring out. It's still navigating. It's still, and I look at everybody as a character. I don't really, everybody is a caricature to me. So I, I still kind of design with that perspective of um, developing each person with a sense of style, whether it's for a, a product or a brand. And I just take that element and I incorporate it. I just fold that into the soup. And um, I do like it a lot. I, I like it. I, can't, I really, I can't tell you exactly why I like it. Even though I do love to be around film crews, um, there's a real camaraderie. There's a real family vibe um, with, with um, commercial advert and advertising. You do work a lot with the same people and, you know, hair and makeup. Um, the clients change, but your teams, somehow you get re-interwoven with the same people again and again. And that's, you know, that's, it's like family. And I do, that's, I do like that aspect. That's really nice to hear. Cause sometimes I think 
when you think about the fashion industry, sometimes you imagine like uh, the devil wears Prada or, you know. I think it's more like that in the editorial world. It's really competitive and, and it is. It is. And I have, I have never had that experience. Thank God. I love my people. I take good care of my assistants. They support me. My world would not go around. It's not, I'm not a lone ranger here. It takes an entire village and it takes my team. It takes the person picking up and dropping off wardrobe. It takes my assistant to help me with these, you know, incredible presentations now that these days that we have to make. It takes, it, it, it takes an incredible team. And I'm so, I, every day I go in and every time I'm on set with a job and it's like a new client or it's a, it's a reoccurring client, I like to carry myself and I am because I'm very optimistic and I'm a happy person. And I really still, after all these years and I'm, I'm almost 30 years doing what I do, I really like what I do and I like the people for the majority of it. I really, I like everybody in the, in the, in the business. Some people are, you know, have more skill sets I have my own deficiencies as well as my own. I have a good eye. I'm a great communicator, but I have, I lack some skill sets. So that's why it takes this whole team of people. And I'm grateful that I have that support. And I feel like a lot of other people at my level feel that way too, because the industry is changing rapidly and um, the technology changes and the expectations change and the rates go down. So you have to adjust and then you have to readjust. And, um, you know, I couldn't do it without a team of people. It's never just me. You know, I, I used to assist Polly Mellon um, way back when, and Polly was really, really good to me. And I, did, I never worked at the magazine. I worked with her after she'd already left, you know, Condé Nast, and she was doing lots of commercial advertising. And she was like, you're really only as good as the people that you're around, that you're surrounded by. And she was, you know, she was very honest in that way. And she was very kind to me, and she taught me to be very grateful. In, uh, and appreciative and treat everybody, you know, it might be somebody that's a junior producer or somebody, but eventually that person's going to be at the top of the heap and you be kind to everybody going up because it'll be the same people that you see <laughs> when you're coming down. Yep. And I'm sure there were challenges along the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, in the trajectory of your career thus far, uh, what were some of those challenges? Well, it's, you know, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of challenges. You know, I, when I came off of Sex in the City, I had a big chip on my shoulder, I think, I guess. And, um, you know, I got, I got sort of whisked into this, you know, on television, on air, you know, spokesperson. And, um, you know, I had a few hiccups on the way. I, I, I did a lot of uh, shows where I was a judge on, not America's Next, I, I was on America's Next Top Model. And I, um, you know, when you're talking and you're talking to people in the industry and you're on air, you can't really take it back. And when you're working on shows like that, like America's Next Top Model that are looking for controversy and talk and, and rhetoric and they're, they're looking for that, you know, the, 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 pot. the drama. And I experienced that a little bit, which really was a, an awakening for me. Um, I had said something to one of the, the, the talents that I didn't feel was derogatory at the time. Um, and, you know, certainly our industry has gotten a lot um, more aware of, of, of differences. And, and, and I said something, and it still haunts me till today. And it wasn't really, you know, I, I, I don't have to say it, it's, it's out there in the world. But, you know, I didn't really understand the, um, the repercussions 
of of saying something on air that's that somebody was going to take offense i've always just sort of said what i felt if i like it i don't like it wear this i, I don't think you should wear that i've always been just very candid and there you know there's been ups and downs with it for sure and that and that particular show still sometimes comes back and haunts me and it really it, it made me really step back and and take and be accountable for my words and what I say and not to be so flippant with, you know, because people are sensitive and people come from all different backgrounds and they're, so we're, you know, we're all sort of thrown into this big mesh pot. But, you know, I, that sort of, you know, I realized that I did not want to be on television after <laughs> that. Um, and it wasn't that horrible, but it's just still, I don't, I wouldn't want people to be talking about me or saying things about me. I just, I don't like it. I could never be a celebrity. I would, I'm too sensitive. I could never do that. I could never be, and, and it did not bother me. So yeah, you've, you know, you have ups and downs. You, you, you don't get the job. You go up, you work so hard. You try to do these beautiful presentations and you want the client to like your work. And, you know, it, you know, well, you know, they look at your images and they go, well, you know, can you, can you do this? Well, you know, when you're a person of 30 years and I've been a freelancer for 30 years, um, you can pretty much do anything. And sometimes, you know, when you don't get the job, it makes you feel, I feel bad. I feel like, oh, I, it makes me down on myself. And I'm, like I said in the beginning of the interview, I'm such an optimistic and positive person and I, I like what I'm doing. So I, I give it my all. I really, I give it my I give it every job. I, I just, I'm, I hustle and I do it better every time and I want to do it good and I, I'm better with my assistants. I try to get them more money. I try, I try to do all the components. And, and then when you don't sometimes get it, you know, it, you go up and down because you feel like it's like the kid on the playground that's not invited to play with the other kids. And so it, sometimes it is, it is sensitive and it's competitive and everybody that has a style blog and takes pictures of themselves with clothes on and puts it on Instagram and have 25,000 followers and then 125, you know, you're competing with that. And I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in putting myself in wardrobe that's not mine and photographing myself, you know, sitting on a stoop in Brooklyn being all that. Like I, I, I want to do what I do because I know what I'm doing and I know to do it well. And I know how to get the client and the, and the brand aligned. And I know how to go down that road. But when you it's an, it's a high and low. So it has, it's, it does have its, its struggles, I guess. Well, I, I can sympathize, empathize with you and, you know, you have my vote. Don't worry. You're good in my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I'm the same way. I, I'm try. I'm a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that if someone isn't happy with whatever I'm doing, not, not, not my appearance or anything like that, but just sure. like when you're invested in something, it, it matters to you. So, Absolutely. um, and you have done, you know, you styled so many different campaigns, like recently your Avita campaign. I just did Aveda. That was amazing. I got to do with that with my partner, Liz, and that was a very, you know, it's a brand that has a lot of integrity and I grew up with that brand and, and I helped also cast the, the mother daughter figure. Um, she's a, she's a, a, a homeopath, the, the woman Renee Jeffis, who's the star of the campaign, the mom. And she's a, um, she's a healer. She's a, she's an amazing, she's amazing woman, a woman for women. And she lives by all of the, the high gold standards that Aveda 
wants their brand to be aligned with. And um, I was really proud that I brought her and, and helped, you know, mesh that together, you know, to find a real mother and daughter. You know, the go-to mother and daughter would have been like, you know, Christy Turlington. And of course they reached out to Christy, but she's already, you know, she's got all other brands that she's already aligned with that, uh, that would, wouldn't allow her to do Aveda. But, you know, it's hard to find a, you know, a mother daughter team that, that really identify and that are, are real, authentic and stay aligned with a, a brand that has such a high standard of ethical treatment of animals, um, just the, the, their packaging, their biodegrade, all, all of those components. So I was really proud. I think more than the campaign itself, I think that I was so proud that I found them. And that was very cool because they live by that very high standard. Uh, actually, Renee Jeffers is a, is a, is a shaman and, um, and her daughter is a, is a model and it was just really cool to work. And I had never met her in person. So it was really, that was a very fun thing. And then I just have, uh, Liz and I just finished, um, Refinery29, which just launched, um, I think last Friday. Oh, we have wow. a story up on Refinery29 and, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, God bless. The world keeps turning and they, you know, they all need clothes to wear. So I'll be there. So I love all aspects of fashion. I, I know you love fashion clearly, but what, what would you like to see change in the fashion industry if you could? Well, I think that, you know, I think that the, the, the idea of luxury goods, I think it's over the top. I think I wish that somehow that there was more of a middle ground. Um, you know, it's like fast fashion versus luxury fashion. There doesn't seem to be a lot in the middle. And I wish that there were a lot more in the middle. I miss the days when I could go to, you know, to Neiman's or to Saks and find a fabulous pair of shoes for $250. Well, now, you know, to find a, a fabulous pair of shoes, it's like 700, you know, you can't even start, you know, it's like five, you know, $750. Um, I wish there was a little bit more of a middle ground. I wish that it would open up to people of all races, uh, sexualities, color, creed. I wish it would be more open um, than the very few. Um, you know, it's a very closed off group because, you know, it's, there's a lot of money to be made in it, but you lose a lot, you know, and the kids that are really trying to get their brands going, you know, they're, you know, they're stopped in their tracks for companies like Barney's who can't pay their bills and they buy all their goods and then, then they can't pay the bills. And they, you know, Neiman Marcus just filed chapter 11. You know, I'm sure there are many other big department stores that are right around the corner. Well, when they do stuff like that, when they file chapter 11, you know, who gets hurt are the young designers that are selling to them that, you know, sold a tiny capsule collection that will never get paid on those goods. And that's a... You know, that's a very unfortunate side. I mean, Barney's has been doing that for the last 20 years. You know, they, they've filed multiple times when Gene Pressman, when the Pressman family owned Barney's, they did it, you know, and then, you know, they just did it again. And now Neiman's, and there's going to be many big box stores that are go going to follow. I wish that that would change. I wish that there was not such a huge gap. In, um, in the development of young designers and how they can find a, an, a showcase to have a platform and that you know, things aren't so expensive. You know, th most things are out of my reach. And I'm a, a, you know, I, I own my own home. I, you know, I'm a, 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 a viable person and you know, I have a home. You know, but most people can't buy a beautiful garment. You know, they can, but it's, 
there's just no middle way. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, there's just no, there's nothing in the middle. And it's like either, you know, young designers are forced to, to have to go into that luxury realm or it's just garbage. And I'm kind of sick of the garbage. I mean, the garbage is handy sometimes and you can find a lot of really cute stuff, but you know, it's, it's, it is disappointing. And, you know, I think that the way that the, that people are shopping now, I do miss the tactile vibe. I like to go into the market. It's one of the, my favorite parts of my job is to go shopping and to pull and to go to showrooms. I like to meet with the people. It is my absolute favorite. And I, I don't want to take the, I don't want to take the character. I don't want to take the drive, the personality, the experience by everybody just shopping online. I don't have that same, I don't have the same feeling. I don't get the same, that same like sensation that, um, that I, that I get when I'm in, you know, Bergdorf Goodman's. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's fun. (laughs) Yes. I mean, not that everybody has the experience of going to a Bergdorf Goodman, but you know, just like working with the salesperson, working with somebody that, that is going to really help you. You know, these days you walk into Saks Fifth Avenue, there's a person every two feet. Can I help you? Can I help you? And the majority of them really are not interested in helping you and they're not really capable of, but that's what everything has kind of come to is just sales and numbers and bottom lines and, 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 you know, I don't know. I just miss the, I just kind of miss something of, of your year, you know, old yesteryear that doesn't exist anymore, but I don't know how, how to get back to it. How to, well, how to get back to it or, or, or resurface the road of where we're going a little bit. I don't want to shop online. It's a drag. It's not that fun. I do it because I have to do it. I'm prepping for a job right now for a casino and I'm having to do a lot of it virtually. And it's a, it's a really, you know, I miss it. It's like trying to eat food that doesn't taste like anything. It's like eating moon food or some food that you get in a spaceship because it's, they say it's food, but it's not really food. You know, I like, I like the, I like shopping. I like to touch it. I like to look at the fabric I like to I like to see it in person and I don't get that same feeling so I wish that the online stuff would I don't know I just wish I guess everything is going to get thinned out now you know the the resources are going to get thinned out because a lot of people aren't going to survive you know being out of out of business for three months yeah that's it's a it's a really it's really unfortunate but you know I guess the the weak fall away and the strong get stronger I don't know yeah, and it's interesting because some of the um, business owners that I've been speaking to, they've been trying to, you know, they'll like bring drop off, you know, shoes to the to their clients' doorsteps, and then you know let them try it on, and then call mm-hmm. them and say, okay, I want to keep these or right. you know, like consignment, like yeah, it's it, it is, and it's so part of what we do is because the people that do it are really passionate, and they're usually pretty fucking groovy. <laughs> Most of them, you know, I mean, you know, there's not another Betty Albrick at Bergdorf's, you know what I mean? There's, that's like the mold, those molds are gone. And, um, I, I miss the, I just, I like the constant contact, you know, I'm, I, that's how I've, I like to roll. So I don't know, maybe who knows? I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but I know things I, are going to change. I think after all of this um, settles down that people are going to be so excited to go back to like being, like you said, having the full, having the full experience. Like I yeah. think that, I think it's teaching us a lesson that as much as we like being in our little, you know, technology bubbles and we, mm-hmm. that we're all missing that like personable, that person to person. Well, bring it on. I want to be yes. served. <laughs> I want to have some 
champagne. I want to go to Jeffrey's or wherever where it was like fun, not like not like the sad, you know, three things of Chanel that wouldn't sell. You know, you want to have that music. You want to feel it. And I, th- I hope I hope people do go back and appreciate what was kind of golden a little bit. And um, and you know, I just I don't know. I hope we. Rec- I, I know we'll, we will recover from all this. I'm I'm not skeptical. I just you get you just wonder how how it's really the the long term impact of it all. So you know? yeah, I I I definitely think about that as well. In terms of your goals for the future, what do you? Where do you see yourself? Well, I hope that you know. I hope I'm the Betty Albrick of styling, or the or the you know Polly Mellon, or the you know Patty Wilson. You know, Patty Wilson's 75 this year, and she's still you know doing covers of you know Italian Vogue and Numero. And you know, there's a lot of older women in this industry, and I I probably you know I don't know anything else. This is what I've done my entire life, and you know I try to you know I sit down with my partner, and you know because we're both in the, basically in the same industry, and we think, well, what could we do? What would we like to do and I at this point I still I'm still not done I still have some time to go um, we are moving to Miami uh, we just bought uh, some condos in Miami and so we're gonna most of our children are grown and we're gonna you know we're gonna sell the farm and and um, I'm gonna you know I feel like Miami's for me is is you know when I'm home it's vacation time <laughs> and that's what I want instead of like trying to fix the pool or the you know whatever I have to do and <laughs> I will continue working, um, you know, until I can't, until it disgusts me or I can't do it anymore. The people, you know, I'm, I'm no longer in any, uh, I'm not, you know, requested. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to sit home. I don't want to, you know, people say, oh, do you want a store? You know, I'd like to design like my own eyewear. I'm really big eyewear lover. And I would really love to pursue designing very specific, you know, I love eyewear. And I um, can tell you're wearing a fabulous pair I right do. now. <laughs> thank you. These are, thank you. And I, you know, and I, I have to, I wear eyewear every day all the time. And so maybe that, maybe I'll be like a nail polish namer. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. I was like, maybe I'll just make up nail polish names and I'll just work for a company and be like, bamboozled red. Oh, that's a good, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a, some absurdity with it. You know, sometimes I just want to have like a bagel bike and bagel sales and ride around on my three-wheeler bike. And I just want to be eccentric and wear turbans and fabulous glasses. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, get on well, Miami Beach and my <laughs> sag and get tan and ride around and well i'll 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 be i'll join you wherever (laughs) it's weinberg and goldfing we'll be exactly it's it's our it's our roots you know we just end in florida that's where we go (laughs) we paint our nails red and we go to florida that that i'll tell you that is the life right there okay no it's like I don't know, you know, what do I, what I do? Do I want to be a vintage? You know, I, I thought Liz and I were considering opening up a skateboard shop. I thought, you know, that's cool. I grew up skateboarding. I, we, we were going to name, we were going to have a skateboard shop and um, you know, we had the architects come and I realized that I don't want to, I don't want to sit in the store. I used to watch Pat sit in store all day long and I helped her and it's, you know, I don't want to be stuck. That's one thing I want to be able to go when I want to go. And the idea of being stuck with a retail venture is probably not the way to go. 
I'm going to be I these just... girls on the beach. You see my girls right behind me? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I see that's that. where I want to be. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll be like a dog groomer. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I want to be fabulous. And I don't want to stop dressing. You know, I, I'll always dress for myself. And I, I think in the older age, I'm just going to live in pajamas. And I'm going to walk around in Miami Beach with my pajamas. And I'll be like a dog groomer or a, I don't know what. I don't know. Well, I don't have any skills other than just war, you know, <laughs> just costume designing. So maybe I'll just, I don't know, maybe I'll end up at the theater or local theater. Who knows? <laughs> well, I'm excited for the future. For you. Too. Whatever Bring that holds. That's right. Yes. Bring it on. Bring Thank you it so on. much. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking us on the journey and, you. Uh, you know, and for giving us a little piece of your world and your influences and your, you're really inspirational. So Again, I really appreciate it. Thank you kindly. It's been a pleasure. It's so nice to 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 be a part of this wheel that we're in. Yes. Anyway, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Fashion Detour. I'm available for personal styling and personal shopping. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can always reach out to me through my email, michal at thefashiondetour.com. And on Instagram, you're welcome to direct message me at The Fashion Detour for any of your shopping and styling needs and questions. Thank you so much and have a great week.
never gonna stop No, 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 no 